As you hear sounds coming up in your head, thoughts, you simply listen to them as part of the general noise going on, just as you would be listening to the sound of my voice, or just as you would be listening to cars going by, or to birds chattering outside the window. So look at your own thoughts as just noises. This is Billy Hansen, and welcome to another episode of Sauce Talk, a podcast about sports and the mind and trying to live well in general. Today's episode is an interview with Jenny Martyr. Jenny is a senior science writer for NASA and a freelance journalist. Her stories have appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post, and National Geographic. And in today's episode, I speak with Jenny about her recent New York Times piece called Be Here Now, How to Exercise Mindfully. And there's a subtitle of Bringing Meditation into Your Movement Can Enrich Your Workout and Help You Feel Clear-Headed Afterward. And it was great speaking to Jenny and meeting Jenny. We speak about how meditation and mindfulness can enhance exercise and athletic performance, the power of deep breathing exercises, finding flow and flow states in exercise and sport, Jenny's process as a writer, overcoming writer's block, and other insights she learned from interviewing experts while researching the topic. There's a link to the article in the show notes, so if you want to read the piece now before hearing the interview, you can check it out there, and it's a great short piece introducing the topic, and it was great speaking with Jenny about it. So without further delay, here is Jenny Martyr. I am here with Jenny Martyr. Jenny, thank you for coming on the podcast. Happy to be here. So I want to start by asking you the question that I ask all of my guests. Where did you grow up and did you play sports as a kid? Sure. Yeah, I uh, grew up in Southern California in Los Angeles. Mm. Uh, You know, I I didn't play team sports as a kid. I uh, was a pretty outdoorsy kid. I did a lot of hiking, camping, backpacking, that kind of thing, rode horses. I, you know what, I started running when I was a teenager, uh, and that's been a part of my life ever since. So yeah, I mean, I, I have always run. I run very slowly and not very far, <laughs> but uh, I, I really do it to, you know, quiet my mind, to feel my body working. It's, it's become an important part of just my day. Nice. Awesome. And did you, what did you study in school when you went to college? Oh, I was I studied literature. I was okay. a, a comparative literature major. Nice. And what are you currently doing now for work? Yeah, so I'm a senior science writer for NASA. That's my full-time job. Hmm. I work for an Earth-observing mission, so a mission of weather satellites. When, when people think of NASA, you know, they, they often think of human exploration and planetary science mm-hmm. and uh, may not think about using NASA uh, or using space, you know, to study our home planet. But NASA has a fleet of uh, 23 missions that are flying and looking back at Earth, and they give us an understanding of our environment, oceans, extreme weather, climate change. Uh, so I write about that, uh, but I'm also a freelance journalist, and uh, that's how this story came about. Uh, and uh, I do 
occasional reporting for the New York Times, uh, uh, along with other outlets. Nice. Very cool. And are you still living in L.A.? No, I live in Northern Virginia now. Well, cool. Well, the, the reason I connected with you and wanted to speak with you is because I read your great article called Be Here Now, How to Exercise Mindfully in the New York Times. It came out on January 28th, 2022. And to those who are listening, I'll definitely link that in the notes to the episode. So if you want to pause and go read the article, it's not long, but it's really good. And I just want to ask you some questions about the article, beginning with what was your motivation to investigate this topic and write a piece like this? Yeah, you know, <laughs> I wish I could say that I came up with it myself, but actually it was an assignment. Okay. Uh, my my editor was interested in the topic. He uh, is a he does rock climbing, scuba diving, and you know has said that he thinks that both of these things are things that you really can't do without meditation. Uh, but it's a topic that's really interesting to me. Uh, I've done in the past year some writing on uh, sports, often related to COVID. You know, I did a story on um, on spring sports and indoor sports and uh, safety concerns about kids and sports and COVID. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the idea of integrating, you know, exercise and mindful meditation was something that you know, immediately when he brought it up, I, I was interested in learning more about it. And, and the story has really given me a chance to do that. You know, it's always been clear to me that when my mind isn't so busy, I think more clearly, you know, respond to stress and frustration in a better way. I'm just generally happier. Um, and running an exercise has always helped me get to that place. Nice, nice. And did you, so I'm curious, you, you interviewed and featured some very interesting folks in the article. Yeah. What was your process there about going about finding relevant experts and con- contacting them? What was your game plan when you first started tackling the, the topic? We were interested in, uh, when we started this story, we were thinking about meditative movement, uh, mm. people who actually meditate while moving, you know, while, while exercising. And uh, in, in, in the story sort of evolved, but and initially it was, we were kind of looking into this question of, you know, some people, for some people, still meditation just might not be for them. Hmm. Um, you know, it may be that you kind of want to incorporate meditation into your life and exercise in your life, but you don't have time for both. Or um, some people maybe just have trouble sitting still, you know, and yeah. and really, you know, working meditation into movement is just just makes more sense. And and we could have done a story on you know yoga, tai chi, qigong, those kinds of things, but yeah. um, didn't really want to. You know, we we wanted to find people who were bringing meditation into their movement, into their exercise that um, were not the people that you that might first come to mind. I really, I cast a very wide net. I talked to uh, a lot of different types of people. And, and I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't that easy <laughs> to, mm. to find. It was easy to find yoga practitioners, but um, mm. finding people, you know, we were interested in, can we find football players? Can we find, uh, you know, boxers can we find you know what what 
different kinds of sports? You know, can we can we find people who who really um, are using this and uh, using this in a creative way? We open the piece with a woman named Heather Larson, who is a slackliner. That was someone we I was specifically looking for um, people who were doing you know more extreme sports who were mm. using meditation just because you know slacklining you know really if you think about it it's something where and and you know she talks about this she talked about this a lot in the interview that you know you really have to be in the present in the moment or um, you're, you're just not going to be able to cross a high line. Yeah, my my uh, that was definitely interesting way to start the piece my buddy is a his name's taylor he's probably listening he does um film work and he's got this kind of dual skill set where he is a really good climber and he's got rock climbing experience but he's also Mm -hmm. you know into film and so he he's got this kind of intersect of skills where he gets a lot of jobs where he does highlining video so he's Mm -hmm. very often up on this crazy mountain and videoing these people who are slacklining across two mountain peaks and it's really really amazing footage and beautiful footage and I remember actually thinking that as they were doing it that yes of course they're you know attached to a rope they're not you know free soloing <laughs> like but they are um in order to stay on the line like that you have to be so locked in and in this kind of flow state and I can imagine how a meditation practice could assist with that so that was a really interesting way to start the piece so I was curious if you had your own meditation practice prior to investigating this topic. Were you interested in meditation practicing? Um, had you practiced before? Not meditation. I mean, mm-hmm. I've, I've, you know, tried it uh, in yoga classes. I tried it in childbirth, actually. Oh, really? <laughs> but mindfulness is something that I've thought about quite a bit recently, when I started working on the piece, I did start trying to, you know, incorporate meditation and mindfulness into into my own exercise. And that was interesting. Um, and I did it just using apps. You know, there's an app, uh, the one that I use is called uh, Healthy Minds. And hmm. are you familiar with that? No, I haven't heard of that. I mean, there are some well-known apps. Uh, There's one called Calm, one called Headspace. Those both cost, you know, they they just cost money. Uh, And Healthy Minds is one of the free ones. I mean, for me, I have, especially over the past few years, thought a lot about just trying to be more mindful in my life in general. You know, with I have two small kids and uh, just trying to be in the moment with my kids is it's hard. (laughs) You Mm. know, it's a struggle to, you know, sometimes just be with them and be present and not let my mind wander and not check my phone. And (laughs) Twitter's always waiting for you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. I want to just go back. I think most people who listen to my podcast know that I'm very interested in the topic and probably are familiar with some form of of mindfulness, but I'll just Mm -hmm. quote a piece, what Sarah Lazar, uh, you wrote about her in your, in your article, an associate professor at Harvard, Harvard medical school. And she defined mindfulness as paying attention to the present moment in an open, curious and non-judgmental way. And so I thought that was a good way of putting it. And there are a few specific points that you made and came back to in the article that I want to ask you about. So, and the first is deep breathing. So mm-hmm. you mentioned in the piece that deep breathing and learning how 
deep intentional breathing relates to exercise and athletic performance. Could you elaborate a bit on that? Maybe what you learned from Coach Mumford or Dr. Is it Parikh? Uh, Parikh, um, yeah. Yes, okay. If you have any thoughts on what you learned about deep breathing as it relates to exercise and performance. Yeah, I interviewed probably a dozen people for this piece, and Hmm. I would say almost every single person brought up breathing or really, you know, said that it starts with breathing. You know, it, it seems that the the one universal thing, you know, from yeah. everybody I talked to is that, you know, it all comes back to breathing. I think it was George Mumford who said that uh, we, something like we, we are a nation of shallow breathers. <laughs> and uh, that's something that Dr. Parikh talked about, that uh, we, we often breathe from our lungs, you know, sort of have take shallow, fast breaths from our lungs. And she said that when you do this, when you're holding your breath or you're doing this, this shallow, fast breathing, um, it sends a sna- signal to your brain that says, I'm stressed. And that uh, increases cortisol, the stress hormone, and can lead to higher levels of inflammation, you know, and that's not what we want. And so she, um, so Dr. Parikh, she's um, the executive, dire- executive director of an integrative health well-being center at New York Presbyterian Hospital. And so she works with patients and really focuses on training patients um, helping to coach them how to breathe deeply and breathe from uh, the diaphragm. Mm. So take these, you know, deep, what she calls diaphragmatic breaths. Mm. She said something interesting, which is that babies and infants are, they naturally, you know, t- take these really deep, you know, belly breaths. But as we grow older, you know, we kind of evolve out of that, you know, into as as we sort of, you know, bring more stress into our life, we just often tend toward, you know, more shallow breaths. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I could talk through if it's helpful. She uh, kind of talked me through how to teach herself to breathe deeply. Yeah. Yeah. If you wouldn't mind, I'd love to hear that. Yeah. So um, she said, and this is what she has her patients do. She has them lie on their back and place one hand on the chest and uh, the other on the stomach and uh, breathe in and out through your nose and uh, try and take long, slow breaths in and out through your nose and then watch your hands. And, you know, you can actually, if you're watching your hands, you can see that if you're just taking those kind of short, shallow breaths, it's really just uh, the hand on your chest that will move up and down. But when you start taking deeper breaths, you can see, you know, both of your hands moving up and down. And the way she trains patients is she has them breathe in for uh, four seconds and then out through six, out for six, and then um, over time start lengthening the exhales. So in for four seconds and then out for eight, in for four seconds, out for 10 seconds. Hmm. And uh, keep, you know, as you do this, you know, just just watching your hands move up and down and you want to really see, you know, the hand that's on your belly. You know, another thing that she talks about is that Deep breathing activates the parasympathetic nervous system, which is associated yeah. with calm and relaxation, and quiets the sympathetic nervous system. And uh, it's the sympathetic nervous system that controls the body's stress response. Hmm. Uh, and as 
the parasympathetic nervous system, so the calm, you know, relaxation response takes over, so does the brain's prefrontal cortex. And, and, and that's uh, the part of the brain that, that governs decision making. And so she said, you know, that, um, that helps us make clear decisions, you know, instead of just working from our reflexes. Yeah, that's really great. It sounds like the kinds of exercises that my sports psychologist had me start with before practices and games, which was, it's now I've learned it's called box breathing. I didn't know that at the time, but, you know, uh, deliberate count on your inhale in through your nose, deep into your belly, and then pause at the top, count, and then, you know, deliberate exhale, counting, and pause at the bottom. And I really found that to be useful, you know, before practices and games, just as a way to to center. And yeah, I didn't know this stuff at the time, but the, the, the things you said about activating the parasympathetic nervous system. And it's also a really, I found it to be a really simple way to become mindful when you're doing those deliberate deep breaths in a way that's just following the breath with, without changing or trying to alter it, which is also a great practice. But that, for me, my mind can flutter away quicker if I'm, if I'm just paying attention to the breath like that. Yeah. Did he have you uh, focus on your breath during games also, or was it just before the games? Yeah, so it was, it was she, but she... Oh, she, uh, sorry. Yeah, she, um, she did. It was a little bit less deliberate on the breath. It was more... Um, when I was first dealing with pretty deep performance anxiety and struggling to do basic functions on the court, the, the, the exercise was... Um, when I noticed the anxiety arise and I'm getting those shallow breaths, you know, you know, blood rushing to my face, my hands feel tense. It's just to place your attention first on the sensations of anxiety, you know, notice them and then my feet on the floor and then start to follow the breath. And just that exercise alone, I practiced that over and over in meditation. And then over time, it wasn't immediately, you know, wasn't a silver bullet, but over time, the more I practiced, the better I was at responding to those intense moments on the court with mm-hmm. mindfulness and able to stay centered. And, you know, I was never perfect. I'm still not. But it, moving in that direction was, was a really good thing for me, for sure. Yeah, that's interesting. So you were sort of training, training your brain. Yeah, definitely. And it's it certainly worked for me. And that's why I'm, I'm very passionate about helping other athletes do that. But the next um, aspect of the article that I wanted to talk about was mindfulness of the body. So what did you learn about mindfulness of the body during athletic activity through interviewing the people that you interviewed? Well, that's something that I talked about quite a bit with Coach Cal. He goes by Coach Cal. This is Mr. Broderick, who runs a fitness studio out in Seattle. He really talked about moving out of the mind by, by focusing on the body, you're you're moving out of the mind and into the body. I got a quote from Coach Cal really quick to just insert here. Yeah, so sure. He, he says, uh, if I pay attention to my body while doing a push-up, I can feel my shoulders, my chest, my triceps, and my quads. And then this is you writing now. Um, or during a run, he said, think about how the arms are swinging, if the shoulders are relaxed, if you're striking the ground with your heels or toes. And I'm actually just starting to jog more deliberately lately. And so that piece stuck out with me. I'm not, you know, I'm just getting into running kind of casually, but as I've been going on runs, I've been actually trying to do that, like noticing, okay, are my shoulders relaxed? How are my arms swinging? How am I striking the ground? I might sometimes get a little bit of pain in like 
an Achilles tendon or one of my knees and then like being mindful of that. Should I push through or should I rest? It's been mm-hmm. interesting to, to work with that since I've started running. Yeah, I'm curious if you in your own experience running or in talking to Coach Cal have any thoughts on on that exercise. Yes, right. And that's that's exactly what he talked about is really, you know, thinking about, you know, different muscle groups that are involved, how it feels, how different parts of your body feel. Um, you know, if you feel a little bit of discomfort or pain, you know, just just being aware of it. But also really thinking about, and, and, and this is something that one of my other sources talked about, is um, that it forces you also to um, be more intentional about taking care of parts of your body that maybe, you know, are not feeling so good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, trying to kind of separate, you know, what might just be soreness from something that, you know, you really need to get looked at. And I mean, that's kind of something that I, when I was younger, I would just run and run and run and, you know, have parts of my body that hurt and just, you know, just ignore it. It would get worse and worse. And, um, (laughs) you know, I mean, I think a part of being mindful is, you know, having an awareness and like doing something about it, (laughs) you know, being deliberate about. But, you know, another thing that uh, I didn't get this was kind of in an earlier version of the story and didn't make it into the final piece but both coach cal and a couple other sources that i talked to had you know interesting things to say also about um just the hard parts of exercise you know people have such a complicated relationship with exercise um you know sometimes you love it sometimes you hate it you know sometimes you have to force yourself to do it and and yeah. they talked about, you know, mindfulness is part of mindfulness is is leaning into that, the hard part, kind of embracing it or, you know, being aware of it, you know, sometimes, you know, kind of being more detached and just, you know, observing, you know, the the parts that are that don't feel so good. Yeah. Somebody that I talked to who was very interesting didn't make it into the story. I wish he had. We had I had a, a word count that I had to hit. This is someone named Michael Namkung, who uh, is an ultimate frisbee player, and he uh, and he played on a national team for a while. Now I think he plays recreationally, but he also does these. Um, he's a poet and a storyteller, and he does these uh, performances where he incorporates mindful meditation. And his mm. thing is all about leaning into the pain, leaning into the mm. hard parts. Yeah, he says, um, if you're running on a treadmill and thinking of all the things you need to do, that's not meditation. If you're feeling your heartbeat, paying attention to your breath, thinking about what's burning and what's hurting, that's entering it. Mm. And yeah. and one thing that he does sometimes as part of this performance uh, is he challenges people to do a wall sit and mm. to just hold it you know, as, as long as they possibly can and, and just really, you know, think, think about the pain, think about your muscles, think about, you know, your legs as they're burning. I I asked him, what's the longest that he's done a wall sit for? And I mean, if you've done it, you know, you know how how difficult it is. It's a form of torture. Yeah. 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 It feels like a form of torture. He said he has, he will do them until to the point of, total body collapse until he just collapses on the ground. Um, And he said he's held it for, I think, you know, some 13, 15 minutes, something like that, which is a very, very long time for a wall sit. 
Yeah. Yeah, and you know, he he says, you know, the point isn't to, you know, that everybody should do this until, you know, their bodies just collapse. But pain that you're feeling typically is not harmful. You know, it's yeah. really um, the kind of pain that um, is is you you can kind of try and just be curious about it. Um, you know, think about it, observe it. You know, think about how your body's feeling. Yeah, yeah, that's really great. He sounds like an interesting guy, and that Very reminds me of. Yeah, that reminds me of um, some of my experiences on ex- extended silent retreats where pain and discomfort is the big part of the equation when you're sitting and or meditating, you know, for hours and hours and hours every day, you have nothing to distract yourself with. And it can be really physically grueling. And one of the, they call it, you know, skillful means or skillful action is to discern or, you know, differentiate between pain that is really unhealthy. So like my meditation teacher, when I was on my last retreat, I asked him about this and he was like, well, if it's, if it's in your joint and you, you're really, you know, damaging your body, then you need to move and adjust and change your sitting posture. But if it's just discomfort and it's just something in a muscle or you're just not feeling, you're just kind of restless, then it can be really skillful. Like you said, to investigate it and don't move and don't itch the, the scratch in your ear and actually pay closer attention to it. And that can be a really interesting way to discover that, if you're actually being mindful, then, you know, even something like pretty intense pain or discomfort can actually just be kind of neutral. It's just kind of intensity that you feel. And that's, you know, that's easier said than done. It takes a lot of practice, but that was something that I experienced there too. Um, yeah, I've noticed that too in, in running and, you know, back when I was a college basketball player, it was push, 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 you know, no pain, no gain, always trying to push myself. But now as I get a little older, the the objective is more just health and happiness rather than performance. So it's like, okay, is this, is it really worth pushing this last mile of the run when my knee hurts? Or would it be skillful to walk the last section here? Because, you know, so, so being mindful in that way too, of when it's skillful to uh, push through pain and when it's not, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's something that Heather Larson talked about, too. She had a lot of interesting things to say about, you know, I I had her talk about times when she's on the high line, and it's, you know, it, it feels really easy where she, you know, reaches a flow state and, and times that she's been on a high line and it hasn't and it's been really hard and she has just, you know, never gotten to that point. And uh she said that uh, one of the things she said is that, you know, sometimes it's just about walking away. Sometimes mm-hmm. she'll rig a line with her friends and, you know, cheer them on and support them and then just say, pass, you know, I'm going <laughs> on a trail run instead. Yeah. And I think that's mindfulness, too. Yeah. Yeah, that's really great. You mentioned flow. Could you, based on your experience interviewing folks, what to you, what is, how, how would you describe flow and what a flow state is? Yeah, right. It's so interesting, right? And a flow state is something that, you know, I mean, I, I know just as a writer, it's something I think about a lot in writing. You know, it can apply to so much. Well, I can tell you the scientist that I mentioned in the piece, Mihai Csikszent Mihai. Um, Good job. He, well, you nailed that. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of complicated how to pronounce yeah. his name. He is the first, he's the one who first coined 
flow, in the flow state. And he describes it as a state in which people are so involved in an activity that nothing else seems to matter. And he goes on to say the experience is so enjoyable that people will continue to do it at a great cost. Hmm. Yeah. But, you know, when I, I asked most of the athletes that I interviewed for the story how they define flow and, you know, it was just different variations of, you know, it just becomes easy, you know, there's no effort anymore, you're, you're not trying so hard. George Mumford said that the basket gets bigger and time slows down. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that you know, most people seem to defi- define it as, um, you know, when it just, what you're doing, it just feels good and easy and effortless. Taking a quick break from the conversation to thank you for listening to the podcast. It's great hearing from people who listen. And you can reach out to me at contact at billyhanson.net if you want to give any feedback or suggestions or just to say hi. My new book has now been out for a while, and it's been great having people finally read it and getting feedback on it. And it's been really gratifying to find that people are resonating with the story and learning about sports and meditation and anxiety. And even non-athletes seem to be resonating with what I went through and are hopefully benefiting from it. So if you are an athlete or a coach or a parent, or someone who's interested in mindfulness and meditation, or overcoming anxiety in performance and in life in general, you should head to billyhanson.net forward slash book and consider picking up a copy. And if you know someone who might be interested, you should share that link with them as well. Other ways to support me is to leave a review on Amazon if you have read the book and enjoyed it, or to leave podcast reviews on Apple Podcasts, or to just share my work with someone who you think might like it. Thank you again for engaging with the work. And now back to my conversation with Jenny Martyr. Yeah. And one of the things you mentioned in the piece that I really appreciated that you put in there was that meditation or mindfulness exercises before or during exercise does not guarantee a flow state, but it can establish the causes and conditions for attaining it. And that I think is really important because there's, a, I think, a common misconception when you start getting into this space that if you don't find the flow state or if you're meditating and you don't find the calm relaxation that you're doing something wrong or there's something wrong with you, and that's certainly not true. Um, and so like that, that point, I think, is important. Do you want to elaborate on, on what you learned in that? on that point yeah and you know you can't force it and uh mumford says that uh if you you know you try and if you try too hard you're never gonna reach it (laughs) sort of this like mysterious thing right but what's so interesting is that i mean at least what what was really interesting to me is um the scientist that i was just talking about who um you know uh defined flow he he described the characteristics of flow um, and, you know, they include um, c- complete concentration on a task, um, uh, time speeding up and slowing down, effortlessness, ease. You know, we've talked about all of these. Um, and there was another thing that he talked about, which is um, a balance between challenge and skills. So it really has yeah. to be to achieve flow. What you're doing has to be challenging enough in relation to the skills that you have. Uh, it has to be a challenge. But what 
was interesting is, you know, these, so this is part of the definition of flow, you know, what constitutes flow, but the, the results of meditation, you know, as it, as it pertains to exercise, you know, the, the, what meditation brings, um, and, and this has been, you know, shown in some research too, is, you know, really mimic some of these characteristics. Um, the, you know, clarity of mind, um, extreme focus, you know, sort of sense of serenity and peace. Yeah. So what you're doing by bringing meditation into your movement, into your exercise, is you are establishing the conditions that can allow you to, to find flow. Yeah, definitely. And framing it that way is so important because it's it does take some of the pressure off and it helps you understand that you know i wrote about this in my book a little bit for Mm -hmm. when i first got into this space and it was helping but there was a point of confusion that hurt me in the first year that i tried to implement it which was i thought that in order to be mindful on the court i should pretty much always act calm and relaxed and I think that was a mistake because it was almost like I was playing, I was like playing the role of a mindful athlete rather than just being one Mm. and trying to kind of force myself there. And it wasn't until the following year, my last year when it was more organic and I, you know, I did my meditation before practices and games. I was deliberate with my focus that I brought and energy I brought to the court and in my you know, most mindful flow, flowy moments, I was often, you know, barking out instructions to teammates, you know, playing with a lot of energy and emotion. It wasn't that I was completely quiet. You know, there's quietness is not mindfulness. Those are often kind of conflated. You could think on the spot better. It sounds like. Yeah. And I was more peaceful internally, even in the midst of a close game with a lot of intensity or a bad call or something like that, if that makes sense. And so, yeah, I think that's an important point to, to linger on for sure. Yeah. I mentioned that when I was talking to Heather Larson, she, one thing I had her do was tell me about a moment that she was um, in the flow and a moment that Mm. she wasn't and, and kind of talk about, you know, compare those moments. And actually one of the moments where she, she really didn't achieve the flow state was the opening of, uh, the story. And that's when she was walking this high line in Tasmania, which is, you know, I mean, I, there's, there are pictures of it and it's crazy. <laughs> it's, mm. you know, a thousand feet in the air. And, and she said one of the really scary things about it was you step out onto the line or, you know, you, you get out and you stand up and, and it's immediately you're exposed. You know, a lot of high lines, there's kind of a slope to the rock. So um, it's not like it's, you know, you, you, you get out on the high line and it's just straight down. But in this case, it was just straight down a thousand feet. And it was a windy day, you know, she could hear the the ocean crashing and she, that, that was a moment that she just, she said she was just never able to get in the flow to, to achieve that Mm. flow state. She said she fell a lot of times, um, and which, which, you know, I mean, is very common (laughs) for somebody walking a high line, but, um, but she talks about how, you know, when there are 
other times when she's walking lines that she's more comfortable with, you know, that are she she lives in Utah, that are uh, maybe in Utah um, near where she lives, and and she's she's just more comfortable and she can more easily achieve the flow state. Is she she really you know she's not falling, she's you know doing tricks, she's you know just really able to take more risks and enjoy herself. She said that she wants to go back to that mm. particular highline in Tasmania and, and and do it again. And when I asked her what she would do differently, she said she said she thinks it was um, she would she would um, her goal would be to have no attachments. Mm. And she said that it's you know a, attachments that really keep her from. Um, being in the flow. And she said that that might be, um, you know, group dynamics um, that are on her mind, um, her performance on the line, wanting to have a clean send. So just walk, you know, the the entire line without falling. Mm. Or it might be thinking about, you know, a shot that she wants to post on it onto Instagram or, you know, getting that <laughs> perfect, you know, photo to send to her sponsors. Um, <laughs> all of those things are just attachments. And she said getting rid of it, you know, makes it a lot more enjoyable, but also, you know, again, is, you know, really bringing her closer to to flow. Um, And she said the more that you can enjoy something, the easier it's going to be to reach the flow state. Yeah. She had a, you quote her in the article, she had a really pretty and simple way to put flow. The effort goes away and it just is. It feels good and it feels easy. I thought that was a a really nice, simple way to put it and totally captures what it is. I love that too. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's really great. I have some questions for you about your writing process. And I know that oh, sure. flow is related to writing in many ways. And um, yeah, I'm just curious how you think about flow or mindfulness in the work that you do as a writer. And then I maybe have some follow up questions on your process of when you like to write and how you like to write and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, I am not I wish I was more kind of deliberate about figuring (laughs) out how to, you know, get to flow in my writing. (laughs) My writing is often it's sort of for me, it it takes me by surprise. And Mm. I mean, you know, I'll be writing and, you know, sometimes my process is you know, I need to take my dog for a walk now, <laughs> you know, mm. I need to, you know, I mean, it's, it's hard. It's hard not to, there's so many things competing for your attention. Sometimes, I mean, I know it when I'm there and it's great. It's, you know, when you're just, you're just locked in and you're focused and um, you're kind of not paying attention to all the sounds around you. And sometimes when I'm writing, I just pick up my phone and like throw it across the room <laughs> just to get it away from me. I've done that. That too, helps. Yeah. That helps me get a little closer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's great. Do you have like a time of day or, um, that, yeah, you have a time of day or post meal or right when you wake up or right before bed. I know some writers have the times where they find themselves most relaxed and focused. I'm curious yeah. if you've if you found anything that works for you in terms of time. Yeah, of day. for for me, it's in the morning. I okay. much better in the morning. You know, I try if I, if I really have a big project, I'll often try and wake up early. You know, before my kids are up, and I just mm. work really early in the morning. You know, when my are mind you, is uh, fresh, I've had my first cup of coffee. I was just going to ask if you're a coffee or tea or or 
like or, or some people I know who seem insane to me who are neither, but so you're, yeah. into, you're into coffee. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what, what kind of yeah. coffee do you like? Do you have like a espresso, AeroPress? What, what kind of coffee do you drink? Oh, I just get uh, coffee from Trader Joe's. I drink okay. Trader Joe's coffee that I just awesome. brew at my home. But yeah, I mean, if I'm if I'm decaffeinated, I think I'm probably less likely to, you know, <laughs> be be on the flow with my writing. Yeah, definitely. And then you said that you like to take your dog for a walk. Is there anything else that you do if you, let's say, you're feeling overwhelmed or mm. the piece that you're writing isn't going? as well as you'd like, or you feel like you're, you've had writer's block or you're stuck. Is there anything that you do to try to overcome some of those common problems that writers have? You know, for me, it's sometimes just getting up, you know, clearing my mind, you know, that's, you know, really, really, it is just, I, I go on walks with my neighbor a lot. And mm. uh, that, that helps me just kind of get my mind off it for a few minutes. There's, uh, <laughs> there's this great book, um, Bird by Bird. Uh, by Anne that, Lamott. Yeah. It's, have you read that? No, I've heard of it. I've, I've been meaning to. Yeah, I haven't read it. Oh, yet. yeah. Yeah, it's great. And she, she says that um, if you have writer's block, if you ever have writer's block and you want to get over it, write about your elementary school lunches. Okay. And you'll just be able to write all day. You know, write about what you had for lunch. And, you know, if one parent always made your lunches and then, you know, the other parent made it that day, you know, just, you know. <laughs> how you know your, yeah. your memory of you know everything that was wrong with it or you know there's like the kid who had you know a giant cookie and you know a, a capri sun for lunch and that was it you know and you know you always the lunch that you always wanted we've got like six ideas already about what to write yeah. about that's funny <laughs> <laughs> she also says that uh, a writer's biggest fear is that um they'll die between the rough draft and the final draft and people mm. will end up reading the rough draft <laughs> That's funny. I relate to. But, you know, one thing about, um, I also, I love to ski. And Mm. I think a lot about, um, I I was just last week on a ski trip with a couple of friends. I I was thinking a lot about mindfulness and meditation when I was skiing. um, Mm. And and really trying to, you know, incorporate some of this. um, Because, you know, I've I've done it with, tried to do it with running. and, And I find it helpful. But there's something about, you know, when I was skiing, really, really um, thinking about uh, your, your breathing, you know, your body, again, the different muscle groups, you know, the muscles that are, how, how does, what muscles are really, you know, working and how do they feel and what's burning and what hurts. And, hmm. and um, I found that I really enjoyed it more uh, mm-hmm. thinking that way. And I don't know, I think part of it is just, you know, when you're thinking about your, I'm 42. And um, t- just for me, you know, thinking about the, my body, the different parts of my body moving, you know, it just made me feel really alive, really um, able to be grateful for the fact that, you know, my body is working well, and it feels good. And, you know, it feels strong. And I think uh, that's something that that mindfulness, you know, can do for you. Yeah, that's really great. So, yeah, so I have one more question for you, Jenny. Um, I wanted to ask about George Mumford, who he, I read his book during my college basketball career, and it was a total, you know, career-altering book. It was really amazing learning about his, I'm not sure how deep you got into his story of being a heroin addict and then recovering and 
and then you know being deep into mindfulness and the insight society and teaching to prisoners and this amazing career and then working with you know the bulls and the lakers and kobe and jordan and teaching mindfulness so so to me he's like the gold standard of what i'm interested in in this space and one of the things that you mentioned in the article which he also writes extensively about in his books is on what he calls the monkey mind or the monkey brain and how breathing and deliberate mindfulness relate to that um, tendency that our brain has and our mind has. I'm wondering if you have any last thoughts on that dynamic and how uh, what you learned from Coach Mumford in that space. Yeah, you know his book. His book really is great. I um, I read the book as I was reporting mm. the story too, and uh, thought that it would really. You know, I wasn't sure how much you know I would get from it since I'm not a professional athlete, and it's mm. you know really, uh, really written for you know athletic, for for athletes, or it's or it's sort of you know set up as if it's written that way. But I found that the book was so you know can just there's so much that you can take from it. Uh, I, I think most of uh, so much of what he writes about can extend to uh, just you know your living your life, <laughs> you know your everyday mm-hmm. life, and I, and I love that about it. But he says that one thing that deep breathing during an activity can do is it can get you out of your head and quiet what he calls the monkey brain. And the monkey brain, he says, is a mind that's filled with emotions and thoughts. And uh, these are thoughts that tend to be driven by fear or stress or doubt or ill will. And what mindfulness and deep breathing really do is they help focus the mind. Um, They can help you focus and, and sustain an activity, but they also really help, you know, anchor you in the moment. He talks about in the book this moment he worked very closely with Kobe Bryant and he talks about maybe you remember this from reading it um in a moment when Kobe it was uh, during the fourth quarter of uh an NBA finals game in 2010 mm-hmm. and the ABC cameras caught Bryant sitting courtside with Chris Rock, you know, just a yeah, few feet away, yeah. like an arm's length away. And and I went back and I, I found the videos and you could see that, you know, Chris Rock was really trying to get Kobe's attention. He's, you know, talking directly to him, smiling, you know, laughing a little bit. And Kobe just stayed, you know, laser focused on the game. I mean, his mm. expression didn't flinch. He was just locked in. And I asked George Mumford about that. And he, um, Kobe Bryant had been doing daily daily meditation and mindfulness training um, with George Mumford at the time. And, you know, I mean, it's, uh, of course, Kobe was known for having that kind of focus. But um, George Mumford does believe that the, his mindfulness training was part of what gave him that, um, you know, helped him focused, you know, so completely on something. And of course, it really extended to how he played. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it really is inspiring to know that it was helping players at that level, too. And I even know that other players like LeBron James, and, you know, even another sports that I follow, like baseball, there's, there's a more of an adoption of this kind of thing at the highest levels of sport which inspires the rest of us who just like to play for fun or play it at lower levels to, to integrate those things into our, into our games and into our lives. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that's really great. 
Do you still play basketball? I do. I'm in an old man's league, well, or a, <laughs> a washed up league, and we're called the Sea Turtles, and we have really cute jerseys, and uh, it's really fun. Yeah, we play on Wednesday nights. Well, COVID, with this Omicron wave, we took this season off, um, but hopefully get back at it in the spring. And yeah, it is fun. And honestly, like, you know, I'm joking about it because it's not, it, it really is just a hobby now, but in, you know, you're in a playoff game, even in that league. And some of the same dynamics still come back to me of I've got to make this free throw, feeling a lot of pressure, better feel my feet on the floor and feel what the ball feels like in my hands and take some deep breaths before I step to the line. So yeah, and I've actually p- picked up um, trying to learn tennis. I love tennis, hmm. become like addicted to it um, in the middle of like before the vaccines. That was a really fun activity that I could play with a friend because we were distanced. And so he was, he played in high school. So I just, every day was bugging him. Like, let's go play tennis every evening, pretty much. Um, and uh-huh. I, that's a super flowy sport. Like when you really get into it and you're, you know, like the, the difference between being in your head and being relaxed in that sport is so clear. So I've been enjoying learning tennis. Um, have you by chance read the inner game of tennis or have you heard of it? No, no, I've have okay. definitely heard of it. I, uh, you're not the first person who's told me that I should read it. Yeah. That's a great one. And I, I read yeah. that book and that was almost the reason why I wanted to play tennis or try it was because of that book and how oh, really? he, he, re- uh-huh. he really describes these things so beautifully. Like these, these concepts are, you know, they can get kind of convoluted and you can overcomplicate them. But I thought he did a really good job of breaking it all down in an athletic sense. So, yeah. yeah. When I, you can see how tennis, you know, sort of like skiing or, you know, like uh, there, there are some sports where there's really a, um, just a rhythm to it, like a cadence. And, um, you know, that's something that I think um, lends itself to flow too, when you're able to really get into a rhythm. Yeah, definitely. Especially those shots like right at the net when you don't have time to think and you're just reacting. Uh It's interesting how some of your best shots can come when you don't have time to overthink them. Um, Yeah, that's been, that's been interesting. So yeah, well, it's, uh, it's been really great meeting you, Jenny, and thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast. And it was great going through these things and learning more about the the article. And yeah, I appreciate you putting together the project. It was really fun to read and hopefully people learn something from it and can implement it into their athletic performances and exercise and lives in general. So thank you, Jenny. Yeah, well, thank you for having me on. This has been fun. If you'd like to support me and the show, one of the best ways to do that is just to simply share it with someone who you think might like it. You can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this. The best way to stay in contact with me and my work is through my newsletter, which you can find at billyhansen.net forward slash newsletter. And my new book, Harder Than I Thought, Easier Than I Feared, is now available for pre-order. And you can find that at billyhansen.net forward slash book and get links to Amazon and Barnes & Noble and other online stores. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time. It's the sauce.